0: This reading from the Old Testament comes from Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day to day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Hi, everyone. As we get into this passage and as we start our new series, let me pray that God's spirit might guide our time together. Let me pray. Dear Lord, as we come to your word now, I pray that I might speak faithfully to it. I pray through it we might recognise your unfailing love, your salvation and your goodness. And that might shape how we see ourselves and how we live for you. Amen. The first time I went on a roller coaster, it was at Luna Park. I was about seven and it was called The Wildcat. And it was a real rite of passage moment. For the first time ever, I passed the you know strange little clown, are you tall enough test? by about this much and I went through the turnstile and I was playing with the big boys now. So there's a real sense of excitement and anticipation and I absolutely loved it. In fact, I probably loved it a little bit too much because my older brother, who's like six years older, you know, grabbed me by the wrist and then dragged me off to the other roller coaster which was called the Big Dipper. And there's lots of words of assurance that I'll be fine, but in reality, I was completely terrified. Now today we're starting a new series, reframing our emotions, and I think the metaphor of a roller coaster is a good way to describe our emotions because you know, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, and sometimes we're completely upside down and we're not quite sure where we are. And there are lots of things that are contributing to how we experience things and how we feel things. So some of it is natural and genetic and you know, ties into, you know, some of us are just more naturally optimistic or more pessimistic. Uh, for all of us, we all have a natural disposition towards sin. And so for some of us, it might be uh, the desire or the feelings of, of envy and jealousy. Uh, for someone else, it might be greed and gluttony. But we all feel the pull and the power of sin. Uh, we hate sin but at the same time, we're still attracted to it. And those feelings and those desires, and when we act on those desires, have an impact on our life and how we see ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. So I think a roller coaster is a good metaphor for our emotions, but I think it's also a good metaphor for how we respond to our different circumstances in life. Yeah, there's no doubt that we do have at least some control <coughs> over our circumstances, And so, for example, if we're nice to people, if we're generous and patient, then we will generally have more positive relationships, and that will make us feel better about ourselves and better about life. And when we do come to moments of conflict, then we have that trust foundation to then deal with that conflict. And again, that leads to a more positive outcome. So we can bring at least some control to our circumstances. But just as often, our emotional state and how we view the world is in response to circumstances that are completely out of our control. You know, right now we're talking a lot about mental health and the impact of lockdown and COVID. And that's a real concern because we were talking a lot about mental health even before all of these events. You know, there is a lot of strain on our society right now. And Christians are not exempt. Like everyone else, there are times when we feel valueless and anxious and we feel fearful and we don't feel our life is worth very much. And when things get tough, uh, we do doubt God's presence and his goodness and his love. And and we know that kind of thinking is a, a bit of a betrayal of who we are in Christ. And at the same time, it's a feeling that's often inescapable. You know, this is how one psalmist describes his feelings of envy and despair. He says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You know, those feelings aren't good, but it's good to know that we're not alone in those feelings. You know, really godly people who God-inspired to write these psalms had those same feelings. And while it's not good to be angry at God, it is good to recognise when we are angry at God and to be able to express that and then work through that anger. And part of working through that anger is coming to a point of repenting of our sin and turning back to him. And thankfully, God provides us with a way forward. You know, he provides his word that shows us how we should live, how we should respond to him, how we should respond to our circumstances. And that reframes our emotions and it reframes our perspective. You know, we start to see things not just from our limited perspective, but from God's perspective and what he wants for us. So God's word shows us a way forward and God's spirit helps us to get there. God's spirit moves our heart and our will to see things the way God wants us to see it. And God's spirit you know, refines and moulds us and shapes us into people, into the people that God wants us to be. And often it's not dramatic. Uh, it's slow and steady. But it is powerful. So... There's lots in our background. That's a big background to our passage today. But I hope it's helpful. I hope it provides a bit of a framework as we look at this psalm, but also for our whole series. And as we start in Psalm 13, what we begin with is a lot of pain and a lot of anguish. So the opening words to our psalm today. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? When things start to go wrong in life, our first reaction is often to fight back. You know, how do we solve this problem? If it's a relational problem, then what's the conversation that I need to have? You know, If it's a work problem or a business problem, then what do I need to fix or who do I need to contact Uh, If it's an illness, then what's the treatment? Let's start jabbing and ingesting and screening and let's get over this. Let's fight back. Uh, So we start with a sense of determination and a sense of resolve, but things get a lot harder when we don't see a quick resolution. You know, when all of that that resolve and that determination doesn't actually solve the problem. And Of course, the longer it goes the harder it is to maintain that resolve. And our resolve starts to wane. You know, when the conversation doesn't fix the relationship, when the business debt just feels, you know, so overwhelmingly large that you can't imagine how you would ever repay it. And when the first treatment or the second treatment doesn't provide the relief or the cure that you had hoped and expected. And if we've been praying our way through all of these circumstances... Then we start to ask that question, well, where is God in all of this? You know, God who speaks all of creation into existence could just as easily speak and take away our most profound problems. And so in the moment we start asking the question, well, why isn't God relieving me of this pain and taking me and sparing me from this crisis? But actually David's fear is even more profound than God not answering. Because as he looks at his situation, he feels that God has turned his face away. There's a song by an Australian singer, her name's Kate miller Heidke. It's a few years old now. But I think it's sort of a modern poetic you know, expression of that feeling of abandonment. Uh, this is how one of the verses goes. It says, It was after school in the afternoon. The corridors were crowded as we came out of the rooms. Three guys I knew pushed him to the cement, threw away his bags and said he had no friends. He yelled that he did, and he looked around, tried to get up, but they pushed him on down. That's when he saw me, called out my name, and I turned my back and just walked away. Yeah, I turned my back and just walked away. It's a gut-wrenching image, and I think that's how David feels in this moment. Now, we don't know why David is feeling this moment of despair. Uh, He was king, so no doubt he had his fair share of problems. But there was also self-doubt and grief. And at the same time, uh, those who hate him the most seem to be triumphing. So there's a lot going on inside, but there's also a lot going on around him. And it all feels overwhelming and, worse still, inescapable. Uh, This is never going to end. So David feels abandoned by God, uh, but he also recognises that God is his only hope for a solution. And so verses uh, three and four, look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemies will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. His prayer acknowledges that he needs God's help. He needs God to look and to answer. And his prayer acknowledges his commitment to God as his Lord. You know, despite all of his struggles and all the suffering and all the self-doubt, he's committed to being faithful to God. You know, it's tempting when things go wrong to turn our back on God. You know, we might do it out of a sense of hopelessness. You know, there is no God who will help. Uh, We might do it out of a sense of spite. You know, we feel that God has turned his back on us and so we're going to turn our back on God. And we feel that that's going to hurt God and it's going to hurt other Christians by showing just how much we don't care. And it's a double tragedy in that type of response. It doesn't solve the problem that we're facing in the first place. And inevitably it leaves us even more alone in our despair and in our feeling of desperation. And David is desperate. You know, life feels so bad that if God doesn't answer, he feels that all that is left is death and humiliation. Or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You know, this isn't about David uh, contemplating suicide, but it captures his overwhelming anguish and just how desperate he feels in this moment. And isn't it awful on a society level that we seem to take so much pleasure when we see other people suffer and fall? And certainly things like social media have exacerbated that. Uh, But it's actually been something that's around forever. It's not new. This is just what people are like because people are sinful. And so David prays with a sense of desperation and a recognition that only God can spare him from this despair. And he says, give light to my eyes. You know, Jesus says something very similar where he says, and this is in the book of Matthew, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so to start with the negative, there are certainly lots of things that that can cause our eyes to be dark. Now, if we spend all of our time looking at the world around us, uh, then inevitably we start to soak up those values and those values start to shape how we see the world and how we see ourselves. And the message of the world is inevitably that you know, sin is good and sin is fun. And actually God's way is kind of boring and it might even be damaging. Uh, it might even actually have a negative impact on your sense of well-being and particularly things like sin because sin can lead to guilt and guilt makes you feel bad. And so the world's message is that they have all the answers and if you follow them, you will find the happiness that you are looking for. You know, it's strange, isn't it? We often see a lot of talk about being... Uh, Content in ourselves and things like you know being body positive, and at the same time we keep being told that we need all of these extra things to be content. It's kind of like we've commercialized gaslighting. Yeah, you know, the whole idea of gaslighting is to tell you that everything is fine, and at the same time just to sort of subtly undermine our sense of confidence until we we start to think we're insane. I think that's what the world does. It, it says be happy, be content, lots of memes. But at the same time, it keeps undermining our confidence and this message that you need more or there's something out there that will make you complete. So that's the negative. That's our eyes being filled with darkness. But what God offers is light. And there's something incredibly evocative in this language of light. Light reveals, light provides clarity. Light is a guide guide. To our path. You know, light is that hope after a long, dark night. And you start to see that first glimpse of the dawn and a new day and a fresh start. And in this context, the light is shining inward. It's about shaping and reshaping our perspective, how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves before God. And so David is saying, God, help me see reality the way you want me to see it. And it reveals who God is and who God wants us to be. So from verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So light reveals God's unfailing love and his salvation and his goodness. As we read God's word, we get this very realistic picture of what we are like, the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's not impressive. You know, it's more, you know, Lord of the Rings Gollum and less, you know, good guy Captain America. Uh, But we also get a very clear picture that despite all of our flaws, despite all of our sin, that we are still loved. And David sees that love most clearly in his salvation, because under the Old Testament law, he recognizes that God allows an animal to be sacrificed and to stand in his place and to pay the consequences for his sin. You know, we often think about the Old Testament as being all about rules and you know following the Ten Commandments and earning God's favor. But the Old Testament, just like what Jesus says in the New Testament, is all about grace. Uh, that God loves people and that God chooses to save people. And God calls people back to himself and to recognise our sin, to repent and to recognise the lordship of our God and to follow him in obedience. And that sacrifice was always looking forward to an even greater sacrifice when Jesus would die on the cross for the sin of all of humanity, including David's a a genuine like for like substitute, a person for all people. And so he dies so that we might have life. And so whatever our circumstances, we recognise that we're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by our goodness. Uh, We are saved by grace and our salvation is secure because Christ has secured our salvation. And so we now look forward to heaven. And we no longer have the threat of hell. So in the words of Paul, this is how he describes it. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. With everything that's going on in life, it's easy to focus on what's immediate and right before us. You know, all the problems and pleasures of day-to-day life. And in fact, we can be so busy sort of dealing with the present, we can feel, well, who's got time you know, to think about the future? The present is important, but it's only part of a bigger picture. And so even something as valuable as our health is important, but it's not as important as our standing before God. Because one has an impact for a life, or at least part of our life, and one has an impact for eternity. So when we pray for ourselves and when we pray for someone else who's unwell, then we should pray for healing and that God is merciful. But more importantly, we should pray that in this moment we might take comfort in the knowledge of our salvation and in the grace of God. And if we're praying for someone who's not a Christian, we're praying that this might be a light-filling-at-their-eyes moment, that they might see or recognise their mortality, their frailty, their sin, and turn back to God and be saved. So this light to our eyes reveals God's unfailing love and our salvation, but it also reveals God's goodness in the present. When things are difficult, when we feel overwhelmed, it's hard to see the good. Yeah, It's a little bit like criticism. You get 10 compliments and one negative word, and what do we hear? the one negative word. I think it can be the same in a time of crisis. But when we start to really see the good, when we start to see how God blesses us in so many ways, in the good times, but even how he walks with us when things are difficult, that changes our perspective. Uh, Firstly, we start to honour God um, because we're recognising his goodness to us. But it also moves us from a place of seeing everything in the negative and everything as a you know, pulling us down and we start to see actually that God has put good things in our life that lift us up. And that means we start to view things in a way that's constructive rather than destructive. And that impacts us and our emotional well-being and it impacts uh, our relationship with people around us. You know, David's circumstances haven't changed in this psalm. God hasn't taken away all of his problems. He hasn't, you know, smited his enemies. But David's perspective has changed completely. He sees God's unfailing love and his salvation and his goodness, and he responds with trust and rejoicing and praise. Trust comes from experience. So when we recognise what God has done for us in the past, when we recognise our salvation, when we can see that God has been faithful there, then that helps us to see that God will be faithful now as we face this particular time of trial and crisis. And out of that comes a sense of rejoicing and confidence and praise. God has been good and God will continue to be good even now. You know, there are going to be times in life when we will all face that feeling of despair. You know, some of those times will come from big, dramatic events. It might be an illness or a breakdown of a relationship. It might be the death of someone we love. You know, it's the equivalent of that big, dramatic, you know, sometimes traumatic, you know, drop that we experience on a roller coaster. But despair might also come from that roller coaster not quite living up to the expectation that we had for life. You know, we thought life was going to be exciting and one big adventure and it's turned out to be, you know, less of a roller coaster and more like the teacups where you kind of go round and round and round, but don't really go anywhere. You know, whatever our source of despair, whether it's big dramatic events or disappointment, the solution starts with recognising that God is the answer. He is the one who has power to give light to our eyes, to shift our perspective, then we might truly see who we are before God and who we've been recreated to be through Christ and through his death on the cross for us. So we're not accused, we're not hopeless, we're not abandoned. We are loved and saved and we are blessed. Amen.